Hey, guess what? The podcast world is growing bigger every single day in Himalaya. They want to help you navigate it. Isn't that nice of them? Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they are adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. And don't forget to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you are there. Alrighty, what is up everybody? Welcome to episode number 136 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Friday, April 26, 2019. I am flying solo as a mofo right now. My name is Josh Cannon and there is no Mike Brown. You want some proof of that? What's up, Mike? Mike? Hello? Mike? Trying to do a podcast here. I feel like I'm swimming alone in the middle of a big fucking ocean. Because you don't, you're not here. Mr. I have a job now and I go to school and shit. Motherfucker, I'm busy too. I make time. No, I'm just fucking with you, Mike. If you're listening to this, which you probably aren't. Um, yeah, no, it's just me today. Uh, I am Mikeless. Mike, uh, literally our conversation when we were trying to get this whole thing going this week is like, all right, can you do it Friday? Because Friday just seemed to be like the most reasonable time for us. And we just like went down the days and it's like, Friday's not going to work. No way I can do it Saturday. Sunday, I might be able to do it. And it's just like, good Lord, man. Like, you know, I mean... Well, the dude gets a job and goes to college, and now all of a sudden he ain't got time for nothing? Really? I don't know. Again, I'm just kind of fucking with you, Mike. You, you heard that I threw kind of in there as a little passive-aggressive thing. I'm just kind of fucking with you. Because there is a small part of me that's like, yeah, man. I, ha- I had a job and was going to college, had a girlfriend, had a band and all that, and still managed to, do, to, to find time to do other things. But... Like I said, it's all good. There is no avarice here. There is no there is no uh, break or crack in the uh, the the partnership of myself and Mike. Um, he's 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 the other half of this podcast, man. What can I say? He's an important part, and uh, he's he's a guy that I like bouncing my stupid jokes off of, and uh, vice versa. And I know you guys have uh, gotten used to that chemistry too, but don't worry. Don't worry, even though me and Mike are going through a separation, you're all my kids, and we're, we're still going to have a great time. We're going to go to uh, that theme park you always wanted to go to, and I'm going to get you the cotton candy, and I'll even let you stay up past your bedtime. How's that sound, kids? I know you're sad that Mike's gone for today, but he'll be back. He'll be back. you got to trust me on that one. Yeah, I don't know what I've been doing in the past. Oh, man, it's only three, three minutes. Three minutes in. I'm already floundering well i guess i can tell you about my day my my week my life what i've been up to lately um i myself have been really busy i know that's such like a cop-out easy thing to say like oh yeah i've been busy it's kind of like this catch-all blanket statement that you can throw over anything you know like oh yeah i've just been really busy i mean 
That's almost like the people who have kids and they say they can't do something or they couldn't attend a function because the, because their their kid was sick. Like, who's going to call them out on that? You know, honestly, like who's going to be like, bullshit, you don't have kids or your kid wasn't sick. I mean, that's fighting words for most people. As soon as you include their kid in anything, it's like, how dare you? question my parenting and my daughter you know like it, 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 man like people with kids like and you know granted i'm speaking in the minority here because i don't have a kid but good lord anytime i've ever anytime you ever call into question someone's like well hey should you be doing don't you dare tell me how to talk to my kid it's like wow Chill the fuck out. I don't care about your kid. Okay? I don't want anything bad to happen to your kid, but I don't care. So you really got to chill out. Because at the end of the day, I don't care. Your kid could be here. They could not be here. It wouldn't matter to me. I'm just saying, maybe don't let your kid eat that caramel apple. They've only got one tooth. You know what I mean? I don't know. So anyway, um... My band, Dancing with Ghosts, we played a show recently. Uh, it was Easter, actually. Easter Sunday. Uh, a, what dipshit promoter puts a concert on on Easter fucking Sunday? And I'm just going to assume that nobody <laughs> nobody in the industry is listening to this podcast, so I can just freely vent on here. I already vented about this on a YouTube video that I made. But, man... Strap yourselves in, because I'm about to tell you a little bit about my Easter and my weekend. We're going to... First of all, I have I have a meaty case I do want to talk about. It's the uh, disappearance of Shelly Miscavige, which is the, um, the wife of the uh, CEO, the chairman of the board of Scientology, David Miscavige. You know, David Miscavige, the one whose voice I love doing because he puts... So much inflection into everything he says. Um, no, so it's his wife. She went missing, and nobody knows what the fuck ha has happened to her or where she's at. She hasn't been seen in years. It's one of the reasons why Leah Remini left Scientology and made her own TV show, uh, because she asked about Shelly and was told, mind your fucking business. Like, quote, that was a quote. So she was like, wow, any any religion that is going to uh, respond to me that way when I'm literally checking up on the well-being of, of a friend, you know, because she was friends with Shelly, um, that really was what caused the cracks in her opinion of Scientology. And, and then I think she kind of started to look more into it. And, you know, then she left and uh, put on that uh, TV show, which I really enjoy. And you should watch it, too. Leah Remini, uh, Scientology in the Aftermath. It's a great show. It's on Hulu. Uh, it's on A&E. But um, I don't have cable, so I only watch it on, on Hulu. But uh, if you're interested in Scientology at all, which you should, because it is one of the most interesting aspects or just weird, crazy religions out there. And it's just, oh, I don't know, man. I went down the Scientology rabbit hole uh about a year or or year and a half ago i stumbled upon this podcast called surviving scientology and they just had uh the host um 
Jeffrey Augustine, he had all these, like Mike Rinder and all these guys who were not only in the Going Clear documentary that aired on HBO in 2015, but a bunch of other defectors from Scientology. And they just talked about the compound and the barbed wire fences and all the the crazy uh, kind of uh, theology behind um, Scientology and the philosophies and the beliefs of L. Ron Hubbard and the other Scientologists. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a juicy religion. So we're going to be talking about that later on. That was me teasing what I'm going to be talking about later on. But for now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my Easter. Uh, so my band, Dancing with Ghosts, we booked a show many months ago at this venue in Jacksonville called 1904. We were hit up by this guy. Um, fuck it. His name's Sid Howell. We were, <laughs> I, met, I didn't mention him on my YouTube video. I'm mentioning him here because... He, he needs to be called out, man, really. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to, like, call him out in, in Jacksonville or uh, in a way where it might uh, besmirch or hurt our band in some way. But I feel like this podcast is more intimate. And if I felt like he wasn't going to see the YouTube video, I really feel like he's not going to see or hear the podcast. So this guy named Sid Howell hits us up and he's like, Hey guys, you want to be a part of the Rise to Slaughter Festival at 1904? It's going on April 21st, and you can win prizes, and you even have a chance, if you do good enough, to, to play at our main festival in Atlanta called Slaughter Q Fest. And then they had a video for this festival, and it looked like really great. Like it was just like a lot of people there, and there was a lot of like carny style events going on. And Stephanie, my keyboard player, instantly is like, yes, yes, we are doing this. Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, yeah, why not? A show's a show, you know? So we just, we finally were like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. Whatever, sounds good. So then uh, his lackey, this guy named Matthew, starts messaging me, uh, us on our, on our Facebook page, our Dancing With Goes Facebook page. And, uh, you know, he just starts, he introduces himself. Hey, I, I work for Sid Howell. I'll be handling, you know, everything, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's all good. Cool. Whatever. That's, that's pretty, uh, that seems pretty professional, actually. He's got someone handling all the affairs. Any questions I might have, he's there to answer. And then things take a turn for the sketch, as I would say, the sketchiness. Things take a turn for the the sketchy uh, area. He starts asking us uh, after a few weeks, uh, so guys, how, how's the ticket sales looking? Because this was a pre-sale ticket show, which it, it, it made me feel uneasy because typically if you're in a local band and a promoter to ask, if a promoter asks you to sell pre-sale tickets, it's a red flag unless they're asking you to sell pre-sale tickets for a national band that is coming through. A lot of times that's how promoters pay or help pay the national act that's coming through is from pre-sale tickets from smaller bands. Now you could say that sounds sketchy, but you got to think if, you know, Breaking Benjamin, for instance, which is a band I don't particularly like, but just for instance, if Breaking Benjamin is coming through your town and you're just a little pissant band, uh, you essentially get a chance to play in front of Breaking Benjamin's audience that they bring to the venue, and kind of in exchange for that, you sold, you know, say you sold a certain amount of pre-sale tickets, say 25 pre-sale tickets, whatever, 
and that kind of affords you the right to play the show. Another word for this is pay to play. Uh, that's kind of what these shows are known as. So he, this was a ticket, a pre-sale ticket show, but there was no national band. This was a bunch of local bands. So I'm like, why are we having to pre-sell tickets? Who are we paying? Well, later on, I would find out that we're paying, uh, we're paying them. We're paying Sid Howell and his organization. That's what this was. This was a, a chance for them to make money to fund their main festival in Atlanta, and this was how they were going to do it. I didn't realize that at the time. I still thought this might be on the up and up. So we start getting hounded about pre-sale ticket numbers from this Matthew guy, and then I start getting annoyed because I'm like, okay, well, if they're asking for pre-sale tickets, the way this is going to work is the, the local band that sells the most pre-sale tickets are going to get the best spot on the festival. And then I started getting pissed off because I thought in my mind that we were getting asked to play this show because Dancing with Ghosts has built up a name locally and we have a draw locally. And I thought that we were being asked to do it because we were worthy to play the show and that all the other acts were going to be similarly vetted much like we were. No, we were just one of the dumbasses that decided to respond yes to this mass invitation to play this scammy-ass festival. So then I'm starting to connect the dots. Oh, I see. So our the order of which we play on this festival is going to be determined by how much fucking tickets we sell. Okay, so this is just a scammy bullshit festival. This isn't actually anything special like i thought so then i start getting pissed off because i'm like well matthew we've sold this many tickets by the way when are we playing the dude wouldn't tell us what time we were playing the dude would not tell us what time we were taking the stage i know you most of you guys aren't in bands but typically how it works is when you book a show one of the first pieces of information you get is what time you take the fucking stage Hey, Josh, my name's John, and I want your band to play my show, uh, you know, June 16th. Sure, John, I'll play your show. Okay, cool. You guys go on second. You'll be playing at 830. Thanks, John. Basic standard operating procedure. This guy, Matthew, would not tell us what time we play. He's like, yeah, we normally announce the, the play times, uh, you know, a week out from the event. A week out from the event? You're wanting me to promote this show and sell tickets and I can't even tell my fans what time we play, what time we take the stage because you don't make that announcement a week until the fucking show? Are you serious? At that point, I knew this was not a legitimate gig, but Stephanie was intent on us not pulling out because Sid Howell has connections to this venue in Atlanta called The Masquerade and she felt like if we pulled out of the event, we would screw up our chances on playing at this other venue. This kind of shit happens all the time in the entertainment industry where you take a dick so you can have a better opportunity later on. It, it, I mean, it's it's literally, you're like a whore. You're kind of like a whore. You're sucking the, the music industry peen to hopefully advance up further up the rungs. So I'm like, okay, we won't, we won't. We won't back out of the show, but this is a bullshit gig, I'm telling you. So then we find out that we can't even use our own amplifiers on stage. We have to use the uh, 
Since the event is sponsored by an amplifier company, we have to use their amplifiers that they have on stage. We can't use our own gear. We have to use their gear. And guess what? They make even more money for being sponsored, for their gear being sponsored at the event. They are getting kicked back from the amp company to be sponsored for that event. So now I'm getting even more pissed off. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I, we have to, we can't even use our own gear. We have to use their gear. I don't care if it's nicer than the gear I use. I've dialed in my tone. I know how my, how my amp feeds back and what how, what I can do with it and how I can work it. And I know exactly what tone I'm getting out of it. Why the fuck would I want to use someone else's gear on stage? But that was that was just that was just part of it. So then we finally twist their arm and they they finally tell us what time we're going to play. And we're like, cool. So we make an event page, our own separate event page for the event. We say Dancing with Ghosts live at 1904. Because when you check Facebook and you see an event notification, and you've all gotten event notifications at this point. And guys, don't worry, I'm getting to the mysteries. I just got to air this out. When you check Facebook and you look at the notifications tab, you know you've gotten event invitations before. And what does it say? It'll say something like, you know... Civic Auditorium celebrates Cake Festival and you you know some weird random event you don't know what the fuck they're talking about. What do you do? You just click on the event just to clear the notification. You're not you're not even looking at what the event is cuz you don't recognize the brand. You don't know what it is, whatever. However, if it says, I don't know, ACDC coming to venue in your town. You're gonna, "Oh my god, ACDC's coming. I'm totally going to check that out." So that's why we make our own separate event pages for events that we do. So we said Dancing with Ghosts live at 1904. And then we put all the details about the Rise to Slaughter Festival and all that and all the other bands that were playing the festival in the description of our event. We were asked to delete that event and have all of our fans go be invited to their main event page instead of having our event page, because he was saying that it was messing up their algorithms and it was messing up their numbers and blah, 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 bunch of lines of bullshit. The only reason that that guy wanted us to invite our fans to their page was to make their page look bigger, their page have bigger numbers, so they could go and say, oh, the Sid Howell Presents brand is uh, a big brand. Look at, look at our event numbers. Look how many people we're pulling. They're not pulling fuck all. It's the bands that are doing all the work and they are taking advantage and they are resting their hat on the hard work of us. And I saw right fucking through that and I argued with him back and forth on this matter and I explained to him how none of our fans know what Rise to Slaughter is so as soon as they get that notification on Facebook, they're gonna fucking ignore it and they're not gonna know about our event. And he continued to argue with me about it and I was like, fine. You little worm, I will delete our fucking event. And you know what I got after that? A bunch of our fans going, hey, I saw you were playing a show and you canceled it. I was livid. No, we didn't cancel it. We just had to do, and I just tried to explain it to them. And it just, it, it, it just was like, how much time you got, guys? You know, it's like, <laughs> do you, you want to sit down for an hour and listen to me explain to you why we had to cancel our event? It's like, no. So I just said, long story short, the promoter's a fucktard. So anyway, uh, on top of all that, the ticket sales, um, you, you could either pick up physical paper tickets 
from the venue and ride all around town like you're on a fucking bike route and sell the tickets to all your friends and fans and family, which I'm 30 years old. I have a job. I have a thousand other things I'm trying to do with my time. I don't have time to do that. Sorry. I don't got time to get in my car and meet every single motherfucking person who wants to buy a ticket for our event. I don't have to. Who has time to do that? Who outside of a 15 year old has time to do that? Nobody. So I was like, all right, the ticket link on your main event page that you're wanting us to invite all of our fans to, does that count towards our pre-sale numbers if they buy it off of your event page? He responds, no, they do not count towards your band. They count towards the whole thing, towards everyone. You have to set up your own Venmi, PayPal, whatever link and have people buy tickets that way and give us the cash day of and just make like a will call list. And I'm just like, guys, can you can you like try any harder to make this the most difficult process for a band to sell pre-sales and to do your bullshit fraud festival? I mean, can you make it any harder on us? But I did. I made my own separate PayPal link that I pimped out to all my fans, all my friends. And we we managed to sell 26 pre-sale tickets on Easter fucking Sunday. And that's something I, I failed to I failed to realize when we agreed to do the event. The event took place on fucking Easter. Who does that? That's fucking insane. Um so anyway, fast forward. I'm sorry. I just have to get this off my chest, guys. Thank you for for sitting through this if you have zero interest in this but i just have to get this off my chest day of the event we're slated to go on at like 650 we have a 30 minute set which by the way is insulting i i sell all my fans ten dollar tickets and they're coming out on easter sunday to see us play for 30 minutes you kidding me we're used to playing 45-minute sets at this point. That's like the standard set for us. We are not in the Bush Leagues anymore. We're in the mid-Bush Leagues, which is slightly higher than the Bush Leagues. So we get to the event, and we get there, and, and you know we got all of our face paint on, all of our makeup on, and all that stuff. We have a very elaborate stage show. We have a very elaborate look when we play shows. Think Kiss, but more Beetlejuice and Demons. So we show up. And the promoter comes up to us, and it's 6.20 at this point, and you're like, all right, cool, we got about 30 minutes before we go on. Promoter comes up to us, all right, man, the other band's off stage. time for you to get on and set up. And I go, uh, it's only 6.20. And he goes, yeah, yeah, man, when a, when a, when a show's run well, it's ahead of schedule. Uh, incorrect, sir. When a show is run well, it's on fucking schedule. What do you mean when a show is run well, it's ahead of schedule? What, does that mean if you went and saw Korn or, 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 or Led Zeppelin or whatever band you want to pull out of your ass, let's say Led Zeppelin goes on at 7 p.m. and you got 5,000 people that are expecting to see them at 7 p.m. Then the dickbag promoter goes, oh, this event's running really well. We're ahead of schedule. Hey, Led Zeppelin, you got to play at 6.30. And then a lot of your fans show up at 7 because that's what the ticket says. That's what they've been told this whole time. And hey, too bad, you already missed almost all of Led Zeppelin's set because of the dickhead promoter making you go on early because, quote, that's how a good show's run. Fuck you, man. That guy was such a piece of shit. Fucking hippie-looking, just just crusty, former drug addict-looking motherfucker. God, he was such a douche. 
So we had to go on early. So I'm sitting there blasting texts out to everyone. Hey, we're about to go on. So if if you wanted to see us, you better get here now because the guy's making us go on early. And I even told the guy, I was like, dude, you told us 650. We told our fans 650. I'm telling everyone we're going on earlier. He's like, well, you better hurry up because you're going to have even less time if you keep doing that. And I'm like, dude, I want to punch you in the fucking face so bad right now. Like, I've worked so hard for you and for this event. And this is how we're being treated right now. Complete disrespect. So we get on stage and we haul ass setting everything up so we can be set up on time without having our, our already short 30 minute set cut into. And we get zero kind of sound check. We get the, the world's fastest sound check. I knew we weren't going to get any good sound check because we had, we, our time had already been cut into. We play our set. The fans seem to love it. God bless the people who came out to see us because they were so cool and so understanding and just they did not see the duck pedaling its feet frantically under the water. I tried to remain cool on the surface. But it was very difficult. I was seething against this fucking hippie scumbag sleazebag promoter who was literally did not give a shit about art, didn't give a shit about us, didn't give a shit about the city, only only saw us as another place that he could exploit to make money from us and our fans and all the other bands. And, and if we sold 26 tickets, the other bands sold maybe five or six a piece. I mean, we really were like coming in there as professionals and treated like shit. And so at the end of the show, I was like, you know what? I know these guys think we're be we were, I, we were being assholes because of, of how demanding I was being on via the Facebook communications with that Matthew guy, his lackey, where I was like, no, you will tell us what time we play. You will tell us what time we take the stage. This is so uh, against everything that any normal venue does. And so, you know, I had a little buzz on at that point. I'd been drinking and I was just relieved that this this horrible festival was behind me. So I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and make nice with these people just so I'm not burning a bridge. So I went and I apologized to Matthew, which I don't normally use this term, but this Matthew guy, when I met him in person, total beta male, total. Uh, I went to say hey to him. He barely even looked up to make eye contact with me and then gave me the limpest handshake I've ever received from another male. And again, I'm not hung up on this whole masculinity bullshit, but I mean, when you're that that less that that much of a beta male, then I just have to point it out. So I apologized to him. He's like, "Yeah, no, it's cool, man. It's cool." I know it wasn't cool, but he was too much of a bitch to actually like tell me that. Um, you know, yeah, I actually didn't like how you talked to me or blah blah, and we could actually hash it out like in person. But of course, he wasn't going to do that. Yeah, man, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool, daddy. So then I apologized to the promoter, said, how? I said, hey, man, sorry if we were being assholes earlier, blah, blah. We were just really stressed out. We weren't stressed out. We were pissed off. But I, I just went with that. And he goes, yeah, man, you know, it's, it's cool, man. No hard feelings. But uh, I'll just give you a little piece of advice from me to you. Uh, you know, I, I know you thought you were being really thorough about all that stuff. But really, to the promoter, you're just being a pain in the ass. I wish I could go back to that moment so I could slug him in his fucking mouth. It's like, dude, I you pimped us out. We worked so hard selling these tickets on fucking Easter and getting everybody out and, and trying to get the basic details for everybody. And you're going to sit here and call me a pain in the ass after everything I did?
It's like, dude, you are like the worst person I've ever met in the entertainment industry so far. And I hope you never come back. And I hope his event crashes and burns and he is just stomped out of existence as a music promoter. So that's what happened on my weekend. <laughs> Holy shit, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had to front load the podcast in with all that business. But man, I just had to talk about that. I, I mean, there's no way I wouldn't have been able to talk about that if Mike, even if Mike had been here. That was such a big thing that happened. But that's behind us. We have a uh, Facebook group called Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. You can go to Facebook.com, go to groups and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And uh, yeah, you'll find our group. It's got really great stuff in there, especially if you're a fan of the show Unsolved Mysteries, which is what what this podcast was uh, birthed out of. And um, I I reached out a lifeline to everyone in the group, asking them to uh, give me give me something to talk about, you know. Even though I got some, you know, some meat and potatoes over here with the Shelly Miscavige thing, it's like I'd also like some some more material. So uh, a lot of you did reach out and kind of gave me some uh, some jumping off points to talk about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through these and uh, then we'll do the Shelly thing and then we'll call it a day. I'm sure this I made it sound like it's gonna be this short little thing. I know it's gonna take a lot longer than that, but uh, all right, here we go. So Sarah Dungan. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? I know Sarah. She's a pretty cool person. Uh, she asks, uh, crazy Florida man slash woman stories and the sunshine law. Uh, yeah, you know, I know it's only me hosting the uh, podcast this week. So, of course, everyone's uh, everyone's going to be asking a bunch of Florida shit. Um, I got to look into the sunshine law thing. I don't even know what that is. But uh, yeah, so what, what was the question? Crazy Florida man, woman stories. I do have some Florida man, Florida woman stories. Uh, I already anticipated that. So, okay, yeah, let's go through some Florida man, Florida woman stories. So this is from uh, Mick.com or Mike.com. 49 crazy headlines that could only be created by Florida man. I'm not going to go through all 49. Uh, number one, Florida man attempts to smoke crack in ICU, almost burns down hospital. This is from Northwest Florida Daily News. A 54-year-old man was arrested on Christmas Eve after allegedly taking a uh, crack cocaine into the intensive care unit at North Okaloosa Medical Center to share with a patient there. A fire broke out when the patient, who was on oxygen, tried to smoke the cocaine from a homemade smoking device. The potential was there for a lot of damage, said Crestview Police uh, Lieutenant Donald Fountain. It could have been a lot worse. Jeez, I cannot imagine, uh, uh, imagine you're on oxygen, meaning you're already not breathing well. You're not doing well at the essential thing that people need to survive. You're not doing well at that, and you're going to introduce crack smoke into your lungs. Like, man, I you know, I've, I've had my, like, bad habits with alcohol and shit in the past, but, like, I don't understand addiction that hard. I don't. I've never been addicted to anything that would make me do some shit that that's crazy. When your body's like giving you these really like bad feelings, it's a it's a symptom of a problem. You know what I mean? Like it's a symptom that something is wrong, even depression, even mental illness. When you're getting flare ups of any kind, either mental distress, 
physical distress. That's your body saying something is not right with you. You're not supposed to feel like this. So stop doing whatever it is you're doing that's making you feel that way. Hopefully you can point to something. You know, what sucks is uh, what sucks is when you you can't point out what the uh, problem is that's causing the thing. But that's why you go to therapy. All right. Florida man flashes buttocks at IHOP after impersonating a police officer to get free food. International Business Times. Matt Skyda, 55, entered the IHOP around 1 a.m. Friday and told a server who asked if he had money, no, but I am a cop and I get food for free, according to a police report obtained by the Orlando Sentinel. He then threatened to beat up the IHOP server and shouted, hey, buddy, before dropping his pants and exposing his buttocks to the IHOP employee, according to the Sentinel. (laughs) Now, how I know I read that just kind of off the cuff, but how would you read Hey Buddy in that situation? He threatened up to beat up the IHOP server and shouted Hey Buddy before dropping his pants and exposing his buttocks. But did did he flee the scene after that, or did he just stay there? How long did he expose his ass? And and it was it a Hey Buddy like just to get the attention was a Hey Buddy. You know how was that read? How did he say it? Oh, you know the disgusting thing about when dudes moon moon you. I mean, you you when a guy moons you, there's always a chance that that, that you're gonna see the, the the testes, you know, below the ass. I know it's disgusting to say, but every time I think of mooning someone, I think of just my ball bag hanging out down below, you know, the ass, which which is arguably just as egregious as seeing the ass itself, especially a man's ass, because you know it's all hairy and disgusting. All right, sorry about that. Hope you're not eating right now. Moving on, Florida man bites off neighbor's ear because he wouldn't give him a cigarette. Now, this is absolutely something that would happen here in Florida. Uh, I was helping a friend out, and someone decided they wanted to take a chunk out of my ear, said John Ott, the man who says he was bitten. This all started because I wouldn't give him a cigarette. He comes up, puts me in a bear hug, and next thing I know, he's biting my ear, Ott tells CBS 12 news his biting neighbor yells threats across the yard the street continuously Ott plans to file for a restraining order i'm surprised he couldn't file charges against him for that that's like assault assault and 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 biting the ear off in a aggressive manner that's got to be a statute on the book somewhere uh f- drunk florida man attempts to ride bike through taco bell drive-thru fights with police now they've now the the gold on this one is that they have a picture of him and he looks like the aurora colorado shooter the movie theater shooter but with teal hair instead of like the red dyed hair that the aurora shooter had and he is doing the most exaggerated pouty face he looks like, uh, what's the name of the guy who busted open the Wiki, Wikipedia thing? Um, not Wikipedia, but um, he lived in Russia. What was the name of the guy? Um, American spy lives in Russia. I know you're probably shouting the name right now. Edward Snowden. <laughs> there we go. this motherfucker looks like edward snowden with teal hair and he's giving the biggest pouty face now get that visual daytona beach news journal according to the report taco bell workers called police at 3 10 a.m sunday after harris and a woman both intoxicated would not leave the restaurant police found harris on a bicycle by the menu speaker report says 
as police were asking Harris to leave, they spotted a red Swiss army knife on Harris' belt loop and tried to reach for it. Harris grabbed the officer's wrist, and Harris was wrestled to the ground and handcuffed. Harris suffered a scraped forehead, police said. Oh, my God. This face that this guy's making, you just want to just smack the shit out of him. He's like, oh, man, why'd you have to do that? Like, God, Ed Snowden, man, get your shit together, bud. You fucking exposed all kinds of uh, secrecy here in America. And now you're at the fucking drive through at a Taco Bell at 3 a.m. in the morning in Florida. God, how life can go downhill. All right, what else do we got on here? This uh, sunshine law, what is this? Sunshine laws are regulations requiring openness in government or business. Sunshine laws make meetings, records, votes, deliberations, and other official actions available for public observation, participation, and or inspection. Sunshine laws also require government meetings to be held with sufficient advance notice and at times and places that are convenient and accessible to the public with exceptions for emergency meetings. Um, the purpose of sunshine laws. Sunshine laws are in place to ensure certain activities are conducted in an open and ethical nature. This allows members of the public to bear witness to certain activities or to request access to records pertaining to certain topics. They are designed to limit corruption within the affected organizations and increase public trust through willing transparency. I think that's fucking fantastic. I mean, if, if, if this is the same thing that Sarah is talking to talking about, I mean, what's the old saying? You all you have to do to eliminate evil or mold or darkness or whatever the saying is to is to expose it to light and the, and the sun will kill it or something like that. I mean, that's true. You know, if, if there was more transparency and openness and I mean, dude, these these government officials and these politicians and these Congress people, they would not be doing 75 percent of the shit that they do if they had to do it in an open venue where there was a bunch of people there to, you know, there was some kind of a hear public hearing or some kind of a, you know, the public were somehow involved in these dealings. It just wouldn't happen. It wouldn't. It would be impossible because nobody would stand for it. I mean, that's why there's protests and riots and shit in other countries. We don't do that here. Barely ever compared to, I mean, in India, when the gas prices get too high, they riot. And, and then the gas prices go down. I mean, that's how, that's just how they handle that shit. We don't do that here in America, not on the scale that they do it in other countries. All right, moving on. Ariel Smith, tell us how and when your band was formed. Y'all rock. Thank you, Ariel. You have been kicking ass since day one in the support area when it comes to our band. Um, well, to keep it short, uh, the band was formed uh, back in 2014 officially. The, why the band was formed was because I was in a previous um, duo where it was me and this uh, girl named, um, I won't say her name. Anyway, uh, I was in a band with her and um, I had basically come to the conclusion that I was tired of working in the band format because, you know, you got four or five members in your band someone's always going to let you down. You know, someone's going to quit. Someone's going to not be pulling their weight. Someone's not going to be as proficient on their instrument as you. So I said, fuck it. I I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm tired of dealing with the unprofessional nature, unpredictable nature of being in a band with four or five people. So I'm just going to do an electronic thing. 
Um, and so I was like, I suck at singing, so I'm going to get a singer in there and I will make the music and the singer will sing everything. And so essentially this girl was brought in, we'll call her Tina. Tina was brought in and um, long story short on that, she started seeing this guy who became jealous of our relationship, even though me and Tina were not sexually involved. We weren't dating. We weren't any of that. We were just friends and we worked on music a lot. And, you know, we had inside jokes, this, that and the other. I guess this this fucking caveman of a guy she was with uh, couldn't give her that same thing that I was giving her. And it made him feel inferior. So he started making a bunch of physical threats towards me and I dropped her off from the studio one day at her house and he literally rode up in his big fucking truck like and blocked my truck and he started shouting all this shit at me and apparently he was high on meth when he was doing that and he said he was going to kick my ass and blah 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 and I drove away and he chased me for a few blocks and then he finally like pulled off to a side street or whatever and it scared me i'm not gonna lie man that shit scared me this guy had nothing to lose and i have a bunch of shit to lose i'm not trying to get into a fight with anybody physically i got too much shit i'd rather be doing than sitting in jail or going to uh the court and defending myself legally be, you know for assault charge or whatever you know despite how the movies make it look, you can't go up and punch somebody in the face, okay? It doesn't work that way because the cops get called, you get charged with assault, and now you have to go to court. In the movies, they make it look like, so you know, someone's fucking with you, you just go and beat their ass. It's like, yeah, maybe if you're at a festival, maybe if you're somewhere where, like, you can punch someone in the face and then quickly get away, but nine times out of ten, it don't work that way. So yeah, I'm going to avoid a fight. I'm not. I'm not trying to go to jail. I mean, and then another thing you got to think: they never see the provocation; they only see the retaliation. That's like I think a saying. But basically, it means that nobody. Ever, and this goes for the internet too. When it goes comes to like these mudslinging things, where someone always ends up looking worse than the other person, because nobody ever sees the initial. Uh, they never hear the initial fucked up thing that was said. They only see how you react to it. So he, that person may have called you the worst name in the book, but n just kind of how life works, n society never sees the fucked up thing that was initially done. They only see how you react, and then they judge you based off of that. It's sad but true, to quote Metallica. So uh, anyway, after I dissolved that thing with me and Tina, uh, I started just writing songs on my own as Dancing with Ghosts. And a lot of these songs from that project became my early Dancing with Ghosts songs. Then I met Stephanie back in, I think, 2017, and we clicked, and um, she's had more and more involvement. And she has beyond proved herself as far as someone who wants to be in the band and is not going anywhere. So you're probably going to hear more of her vocals on upcoming Dancing with Ghosts songs. All right, up next we have Tony Palacio. A guy who I've been, uh, he's been wanting me to roast him on the podcast for the longest time now. But as I go to his profile picture, I see him uh, in this uber comfortable looking fur looking, it looks like a fur. It looks like some kind of animal fur. But he's like, he's like ensconced in this fur around this beautiful dog. One of the most beautiful dogs, just flowing fur from the dog majestic is a word I would use to describe the dog and he's kissing the dog on the fucking head how sweet is that there is no way that I can possibly roast this person there's nothing 
based solely off this picture, I do not know him from Adam, but based solely off this picture and making a, a blanket generalization, there is no fault I can find in this man simply for the fact that that is a majestic dog who he cares dearly about. So I don't know what it is with me and dogs, but I just, ah, uh, God, I just have so much feelings for them. Not sexual, you fucking perverts. Nobody said sexual, Josh. You said sexual. So you're the pervert. Fair enough. Moving on. Helen Hurd. Do you think Unsolved Mysteries played a part in people not committing certain crimes? Because we know that the suspects actually watched themselves on there and got nervous. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think people, I don't think men especially have that kind of foresight and forethought to, I better not choke her because I might see myself on Unsolved Mysteries later on. They don't think that far ahead. Uh, I mean, yeah, you have premeditated things that happen, but I don't think, especially back when Unsolved Mysteries was on TV back in the 90s, I just don't think people took into account media as much you know when before they did something i mean dude think about now think about how self-policing we all are in ourselves i mean all the stuff you want to say on social media but you never dare say because you know if you say it it can fuck up your shit it can for me it could ruin my career if i said some of the, the things that i said to my friends on social media uh i would be seen as the worst person in the world <laughs> but if you Listening right now, specifically, if you and I were together alone and we were just having a casual conversation and I made a joke or I said something, you would hear the tone of my voice. You could take it in, in context of what I'm saying. You know my heart. You know where I'm coming from. And you just laugh, laugh at it or just be like, yeah, oh, man, that's fucked up, but whatever. But as soon as that shit goes on social media, you are Hitler. You are a Nazi. So, uh, yeah, I, I, back in the day, my whole point of that is back in the day, people just didn't take media into account like they do now. I mean, the amount of fucked up shit I think people just said out in the open back in the day and just no thought or consequence whatsoever. I mean, I think that happened a lot more back then than it does now. Her other question is, do you think modern crime shows give people ideas? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I, I do think they give people ideas. Um... I think what gives people more ideas, though, it are uh, the news programs when there is some kind of a mass shooter and they air not only the person's name, making them a huge celebrity, but what they did, how they did it. Then everyone writes books about it and there's Internet articles on it. I think that gives people ideas more than anything else. They see the fame and the accolades that can come with uh doing those things i feel like for the modern crime shows as it were it's more dramatized and i think people see it more of a scripted you know tv show so though it might give someone an idea of how to get away with a murder i don't think it gives them the impetus to commit the murder the way that like a uh, local news would or national news would when reporting like a horrific thing that happens and she asked, do you think there is such thing as a perfect murder? Yes, I do. Uh, like I said before, I think that uh, the perfect murder has to be... I mean, you have to be a psychopath or a sociopath to pull off the perfect murder. Because you have to not have any ties to the person that you kill. You, they've done nothing to you. You don't know, even know the person's name. They don't know your name. There's no connections to that person. 
you randomly just, I think, either shoot them, but even if you shoot them, then there's noise. Maybe if you put a silencer on your gun, you just go up to someone, pew, pew, and then you, you just blend into the night and just go back to your house and, I mean, why would the cops ever question you? You don't even know this person. The first thing they're going to do is look at the family. You know, do, do you have any, is there anyone who has reason to cause harm to Billy Blue Balls? Let's say that's his name. You know, oh, I, he, this guy he works with maybe, or this, this guy that he owed money to, but not Josh Cannon because Josh Cannon didn't know Billy Blue Balls. He had no motive. There was no motive. There, there, there was no reason to do it. He just did it, and then he just, you know, no one heard anything. And I mean, yeah, you have to not know the person. I think that's the biggest thing. If you know the person, then yeah, I think it'll, eventually it'll get get back to you. All right, next question or statement. Corey Cameraman's from Canada, and according to our our uh, group here, he is a visual storyteller. That means Corey and two others consistently share images or videos that people value. Aww. He says, do people, do crazy people flock to Florida or is it the heat and humidity and mosquitoes the size of your head that make people say, ah, to hell with it. Meth is my drug. Um, you know, I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't know why there's so many crazy people in Florida. Uh, I, I have looked this up ahead of time as well. And as a former Florida resident, this person says they have a three-pronged theory. They are the former Florida resident, not me. I will probably always be stuck here until my dying day. Uh, they postulate that one, politics in Florida is dominated by retirees. This means that political decisions favor making things cheap and easy rather than planning for future and investing in the youth. In other words, not a lot of money for schools, early childhood programs, youth de development, etc. So a lot of people get fucked up in childhood and grow into pathological adults. Number two, the climate is miserably hot and humid. No one wants to go outside and mingle with their neighbors and form a real community. This pe makes people more antisocial. Now, see, this is hilarious to me because they're totally discounting the beach scene in Florida, which is like insane. You can go to the Jacksonville Beach at any given time and there will be more people there than my liking. So the whole antisocial thing, incorrect, sir. Or madam, there are so there the the uh the reggae scene here that like gentrified white guy reggae shit is so popular at the beaches and hanging out at the beach bars and beach life salt life you see those stickers all over the place so there is actually a very real community based around the heat and the beach and all that and then their third thing is it's a very diverse state with people from all over Cubans, retirees from the north, Haitians, Southerners, etc. Uh, for some reason, different groups are racist against one another. I mean, yeah, there's probably more of that in Florida than there are, say, in the Midwest, in the flyover states where they have like three black people in the entire state, you know, and you just have a bunch of people who look like you and have the same opinions as you. I mean, I, yeah, I could go for that. But then why wouldn't we have more California man stories? Because of all the immigrants and Mexicans in California and all the 
uh, you know, liberal Hollywood elite, and then you got the you know red state, the, the 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 Republican kind of constituency in some of the states. Apparently, San Francisco is a pretty conservative. So, I mean, why why wouldn't you have a bunch of crazy stories? Yeah, why is that? Why isn't there a bunch of California? California, Los Angeles? Are you kidding me? All the crazy fucks that live there, all the all the fucking disillusioned, delusional star-seeking people who live out in California? Why aren't there more California man stories? That's what I want to fucking know. Why is it Florida? And we got Mickey Mouse. I mean, they do too, but... You know, it's a place of happiness and joy. Sick of the bum rap that Florida's getting. Alright, moving on. We got Robin Lewis all the way from Australia. I apologize for butchering the accent there. Um... He goes, have you ever been to Conk Republic in Key West? What is your take on that area of Florida? Uh, no, I've never been to Conk Republic. Uh, I, have this, I have this image of Key West uh, basically from the Kokomo song that the Beach Boys did and from uh, that, that movie uh, Cocktail that Tom Cruise was in. I imagine it's like this like haven that's like just amazing and there's just always like this 1980s Kenny Loggins vibe to Key West where there's like neon on the sand, like neon lights that are reflecting onto the sand. And I'm drinking a cocktail out of a coconut and I'm wearing like all white, you know, with the white like sun hat and uh, just, you know, beard and, and just a lot of chest hair. And, you know, I, I'm just like living, man, like living my best life down there. You know, like that's that's my that's my impression of, of Key West. And if it's anything besides that, when I if I ever go, I'm going to be pissed and I'm going to hightail it the fuck back to Duval. He goes, also, is there any cryptics that you and Mike would consider in covering? Cryptics, is that as in cryptids? As in uh, cryptozoological creatures? If that's what you mean, then uh, sure. I, we kind of did a thing on that already. We went through a list of a bunch of uh, the popular cryptids out there. Uh, what, what is a cryptic? Having a meaning that is mysterious or obscure. Well, yeah, I know that. Uh, sir, you're going to have to uh, qualify that statement there. All right, moving on. Carmen Lyons. Uh, crazy, uh, Florida crazy stories, especially in the Tampa Bay area. Well, uh, Tampa Bay, around that area, you have Clearwater, which is where the flag base is for Scientology, where their main headquarters of Scientology is. So, I mean, you want to talk about crazy stories. I mean, you go to downtown Clearwater, and it's a ghost town, first of all, and you see these creepy, uniform, you know, almost like militant-looking motherfuckers walking up and down the streets. Well, those are the Sea Org members. Those are the diehards of Scientology. So... I've never been to that, or no, I have been to Tampa area, but it's only for like concerts and to play concerts, so I haven't truly gotten to explore that area, which is a shame because I would really like to, but I don't have any uh, specific uh, anecdotes or stories from that area. Noah Enriquez says, if you get bit by a crazy Florida man or get his blood in your system, do you become crazy Florida man? Well, let's think about that. Can HIV uh, be transfused through blood? Yes, it can. So to answer your question, yes, you will get AIDS and die much like a crazy Florida man probably would. 
Moving on, Robin and Lewis again. Would you and Mike ever cover any of the stories that are related to Area 51? Also, would you and Mike cover the strange, I mean, guessing he means strange, death of Australian Prime Minister Harold Holt? I don't know. Did Harold Holt die in a mysterious uh, way? Um, he, you say strange death, but did he die in a mysterious way? That's, see, that's what I want to know, because we're uncovering unexplained mysteries not uncovering unexplained strange although that could be the the podcast for my sex life am i right waka waka oh my god okay i miss mike um yeah no we covered the area 51 thing the uh, unsolved mysteries uh episode on that area 51 groom lake the funny farm um we covered um what was that guy bob whatever his name is the Bob Lazar, the UFO guy who supposedly saw a UFO uh, at Area 51 because he worked there and he saw it like they had it and they were test flying it and how it made no noise. And it, you know, it was called the sport model and it like rose up, went to the left, went to the right and then like went back down. And he was like, it's pretty uneventful. Well, Well, pretty uneventful for a UFO flight. But, I mean, if you find something compelling, like a documentary or something that kind of goes into it more, like, yeah, I'm always one. Uh, look, I, I love aliens and UFOs, and those are my favorite segments on Unsolved Mysteries besides the Strange Legends and the Frauds. But, I mean, we have just, our, like I said, we have barrel residue under our fingernails from how hard we have scraped the bottom of the barrel when it comes to uh, Unsolved mystery segments. I mean, at this point, we are uncovering hidden gems of Unsolved Mysteries. We are not... There are no more obvious picks. I mean, no one can think of any. If they could, they would have mentioned them. Like, no one can think of any obvious cases we haven't covered yet from Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, we're, this is episode 137, and we've done... You know, God, at the beginning, we were doing three and four fucking segments per episode what was i thinking what were we thinking why didn't we conserve a little bit two segments per episode you know that's what we should have done we would have been able to stretch it out a little bit longer we'll still find some in there and and there are definitely still cases i want to talk about but getting harder jeremy bledsoe says i feel like if unsolved mysteries was still around the girls murdered in delphi indiana would be classic unsolved mysteries complete with mysterious voice recording creepy suspect drawing sold separately uh, let me see what he's talking about here. On February 14th, 2017, the bodies of Abigail Williams and Liberty Lynn German were discovered near the Monon High Bridge Trail, which is part of the Delphi Historic Trails in Delphi, Indiana, United States, after the girls had disappeared from the same trail the previous day. The murders have received significant media coverage because a photo and audio recording of a man believed to be the girl's murderer was found on German's cell phone. Despite the photo and audio recording of the suspect being released to the public by police and over 26,000 tips being sent to police, no arrests have been made in the case. Yeah, no, I've totally, that would totally have been on Unsolved Mysteries if it was still around. Have we heard any word on, on when that show supposedly is coming back with their whole, you know revamped unsolved mysteries coming to netflix see about that unsolved mysteries coming to netflix net dicks i literally typed in dicks 
Unsolved Mysteries coming to Netflix. Uh, let me see. That's articles from January 18th, January 18th, January 24th. Yeah, no, nothing, no new, no new word on that. All right, looks like we got all that out of the way. So let's let's talk real quick about Shelly Miscavige. Um, so Shelly Miscavige is the, or was, no one really knows if they're still married or not, was the wife of the uh, chief of Scientology, David Miscavige. And uh, we've, we've talked about the Going Clear documentary on Scientology on our previous, one of our previous episodes. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to know more about Scientology through our lens. Um, so where is Shelly Miscavige? It's the question that's haunted Leah Remini for over a decade. And in the latest episode of her A&E series, Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath, the ex-Scientologist turned whistleblower, uh, a former friend and pen pal of Shelly's, interviewed several of her closest confidants who provided valuable context for why the wife of Scientology leader David Miscavige hasn't been seen public publicly since August of 2007 at her father's funeral. So 12 years. That's insane. According to author Lawrence Wright's book, Going Clear, Shelley both functioned as Miscavige's right-hand woman as well as handler to Scientology's biggest star, Tom Cruise. And in that latter capacity, Wright claimed that she supervised the auditing of the Mission Impossible actor's then-girlfriend, Penelope Cruz, as well as the search for Cruz's new partner following her split from the Spanish actress. The problems for Remini began at the 2006 wedding of Cruz and his new partner, Katie Holmes, a $3 million star-studded affair at a 15th century castle in Italy. Among the guests were Brooke Shields, Giorgio Armani, Jim Carrey, Will and Jada Pinkett Smith, David and Victoria Beckham, Jennifer Lopez, and Mark Anthony, and fellow Scientologists John Travolta and Kelly Preston. The couple were serenaded by Andrea Bocelli, Bocelli, and took part in Scientology's double ring ceremony, with Miscavige serving as Cruz's best man. Remini was there, too, and when she began asking guests and Scientology officials at the bash why Shelley was nowhere to be found, uh, says she was subsequently, quote, punished for asking where the leader's wife was. In the season three premiere episode of Scientology in the Aftermath, Remini interviewed Valerie Haney, who served 22 years in the church's fraternal religious order, the Sea Org whose members must sign billion-year contracts and was also the personal assistant to Shelley Miscavige. Haney says she last saw Shelley crying and entering a vehicle outside Gold Base, the international headquarters of the Church of Scientology in Riverside County, California. Quote, What Miscavige is doing with his wife, hiding her and not having her anywhere around, I don't get it. That is heartless to me, claims Haney. Tom DeVacht, a former Church of Scientology official who knew Shelley adds that she confided in him that her husband was, quote, losing it prior to her public disappearance. Remini filed a missing persons report on Shelley's behalf in 2013, and after conducting a safety check, Detective Gus, whatever the fuck his name is, stated, quote, the LAPD has classified the report as unfounded, indicating that Shelley is not missing. Though they declined to provide any details as to the state they found her in, where she is, or if she was in the presence of church officials. Quote, What matters to me is that I have not seen proof that this woman is alive or doing well, so I can give a shit about what the LAPD says as their bullshit statement that they put out because I haven't seen her face. I'm calling bullshit on it, Remini told me. Or told them. 
Uh, Detective Kevin Be- Becker of uh, the LAPD's Hollywood Division, a friend of Remini's who's since retired from the force, provided a written statement to the Daily Beast about the Shelley Miscavige wellness check, which read in part, quote, I and many other detectives believe that the, quote, investigation was very poorly handled and LAPD fell way short on this one. In a threatening letter to the Daily Beast, Glassman Media Group, the law firm representing the Church of Scientology called Remini and Rinder's claims false, said they haven't proved any evidence of Shelley's whereabouts because they don't want to, quote, dignify the preposterous allegations and allege, quote, Miss Miscavige has never been missing and is living her life choosing or is living her life to her choosing. Quote, Miss Miscavige has been married to Mr. Miscavige for almost 40 years. She is a lifelong Scientologist and a dedicated member of the Sea Organization, the Scientology Religious Order. While her husband lives in a public lives a public life as the church's leader, Miss Miscavige lives a private life. My partner Rebecca Kaufman has personally met with Miss Miscavige, end quote, wrote Anthony Michael Glassman of Glassman Media Group. Remini and her aftermath co-host Mike Render, a former senior executive in the Church of Scientology, believe that Shelley is being kept at the Church of Spiritual Technology, a heavily fortified complex near Lake Arrowhead, California, comprised of vaults housing Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard's collected works on gold compact discs and nuclear shelters. It's where Scientologists are preparing for Armageddon. Quote, Mike and I are pretty positive that in 2005, once David Miscavige had, blo- uh, had his blow-up with her, he sent her up to be a non-person. Tony Ortega, publisher of The Underground Bunker and the leading journalist covering Scientology, told me a few years back, quote, They have let her out for a couple of days for her father's funeral in the summer of 2007, and nobody has seen her since. <coughs> I'm positive she's still there, and I have my sources saying that she's still there. Rinder further claims that he was contacted by a person at CST whose job it was to monitor Shelley's whereabouts and maintains that they explored Shelley's disappearance on Aftermath, quote, because so many people reached out and demanded that we do a show about it. Quote, They believe that the world doesn't have the rank to ask about this, that nobody has the rank to ask about this, Render tells me. Quote, It's an interesting look at the mindset of Scientologists and how out of touch with reality they are. If Shelley Miscavige is really just peachy keen and fine, how simple would it be for her to write a handwritten note to the world or to Leah? How simple would it be for her to do a video? Scientology has thousands of videos they put on. How come there isn't one of Shelley if she's so fine? The proof that there is something wrong is not the statements made by me or anybody else. The proof that there's something fishy is in Scientology's response, he continues. This would be the easiest thing in the world to deal with if there wasn't something weird going on. And that's about all we know. So, I mean... And this came from um, the dailybeast.com, by the way. So no one can say I was plagiarizing. Because I'm giving credit where credit's due. I'm not passing it off as my own. Yeah, that's, that's all we know about old Shelly Miscavi. I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. That's really weird. <laughs> she did, she did fuck up, though, according to Dave Miscavige in his book. She, um, God, I'm trying to remember what she did. I remember what, what the blow up was. I'm the worst right now. Not being able to remember this. She did something. She went against David Miscavige's orders or something. And, and it was so egregious 
because Scientologists, you know, they don't view family and relationships the same way that normal people do. So it's like, yeah, even though they are married, it's not like they have that married husband and wife dynamic that most people would. It's more of a, yes, we are, we are, uh, as, as the world would recognize it, we are together, but we, you know, we, we are these, uh, you know, beings that are in these meat bodies. That's what they call your physical body. They call it your meat body. And we are really just thetans that are in this, in this world. Yes, we are technically married, but there's not this, like, it's not the same kind of sweet, loving union that a normal marriage would be. And it's the same way with kind of familial relationships, too, like, when somebody dies into Scientology, you, you are not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to mourn. They just dropped their body, as they put it. You dro Oh, that person decided to drop their body. They are now free from these chains. They are now a free Thetan that is free to roam the universe and go and go to Pack 2 which is the new base that L. Ron Hubbard has started on another planet, because that was the work that Hubbard was to do after he died was to start a new base. It's it's, it's, it's dude, I, I'm telling you, man, look into Scientology. It is insane and is awesome. And I want to join. Who's coming with me? No, I'm just joking. I don't want to join Scientology, but I do find it utterly fascinating. I do definitely want to visit their headquarters next time I go down to Tampa. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I'm getting hungry. And when I get hungry, I know that my, just the overall quality of my performance uh, diminishes overall. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm going to, I guess I'm going to call it, so, like I said, a little bit of a shorter podcast, but I kind of saw that coming with the whole, uh, All right, what's up, everybody? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> One of my videos accidentally started playing in the background. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, Mike should be here next week. Um, we're definitely not breaking up. We're still very much in love and he's just incredibly busy. I'm incredibly busy. When we first started this podcast back in like June of 2016, I think it was, uh, we we both had much less going on in our lives. Uh, I was just starting my YouTube channel. Dancing with Ghosts was like nothing at that point. Uh, I just had this very routine kind of schedule in my life. Um, so just showing up on Wednesday or whenever we recorded was like super easy. It was just like effortless. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do a podcast. You know, fuck it. Knock it out. But now it's like, uh, you know, Mike's got a job, which I, I never thought that that was going to happen. Honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't think that dude was going to be able to hold down a job. <laughs> Mike, nothing against you, man. Nothing against you, but like, I don't know. You, I guess you had just gone so long without having one. I just, I just, I don't know. It's like I couldn't imagine him having one because he just went so long without having one. Now he's got one. He's like, he's he's sticking to it and he's going in all the time and good for him, man, making that money. Good for you. So I'm, I'm proud of him and he's doing what he wants. He's going to college. He's trying to, you know, do the whole college thing, even though I think college is kind of a scam unless you know exactly what you want to go to college for. And he knows what he wants to go for, but I don't know if that's... I don't know if he's actually going to be able to make a, any kind of a career out of that, unfortunately. I think, honestly, I think he's better off just, just putting the most he can into this podcast and into his YouTube channel. 
<laughs> Maybe we'll get like the last podcast on the left and make $27,000 a month on our Patreon. That's insane, dude. They make so much money on Patreon. They make they make as almost as in one month on Patreon, they make almost as much as I make in a year. Just doing a fucking podcast. I've never listened to one episode. I don't know what it sounds like. I mean, God bless them. I mean, God bless all the big podcasts out there whose ass I can kiss. Uh, you know, I love all you guys. Please, please let us have, please have us on, you know. Okay, we got one last thing here from Raphael Alejandre. I know I said your name wrong, sir. I apologize. Uh, he wants me to talk about my love life or lack thereof. Um, my love life. My love life is non-existent because I have made a conscious choice to avoid any kind of uh, commitment or relationship with anybody uh, for the simple fact that I am trying to accomplish a bunch of goals right now. And I just refuse to set aside any time to spend with somebody if I'm not getting work done or business done. If I had a girlfriend... She would want to spend time with me. We would have to find a day out of the week where I did nothing but hang out with her, go to the park, go whatever, waste time, waste money, waste time. I know, I mean, I know it's not wasting time. I, I, I recant that. It's not wasting time, but you're spending money, you're spending time, and I'm not getting anything done. Nothing is getting done. And what if it doesn't work out? Which I probably won't because I have all kinds of problems with commitment. Probably because I watched porn growing up. So I have all these weird things in my head from what porn did. So, you know, anytime I get into a relationship, I'm, I'm all about it for like three or four months. And then I start my wandering eye starts looking at other girls and other I start thinking about other people. And I'm like, well, what about them? That could be fun, too. And then I'm like, ah, I'm tied to this fucking relationship. I just feel like I'm in jail anytime I commit to that. I think if I think if I had a nine to five job where I did the same thing every day, I think I would absolutely love a relationship. Because, like, you're already trapped anyway in your 9-to-5 job. You're already not going anywhere because you have to go and do that job every week for 40 hours or more. So why not have someone suffer through your life with you? Like, someone is trapped with you. They have to go to a job, too. And then you come home, and, hey, there's someone I get to hang out with. And you're not doing anything else anyway. You're You're not, like, aspiring to do anything else, like, make a music career or build something, you know, or start a business and grow it or whatever. You're just going to your job and coming home. Yeah, why not? Why not have a, a wife, a girlfriend in that situation? That makes sense. But that, that, the thought of that makes me so depressed that I can't even put it into words. That life, that lifestyle. And I am by no means judging you, if you live that life, there is nothing wrong with that life. But for my crazy ass who was deprived of oxygen for like a long period of time when I was born because my heart wasn't beating and because I was exposed to a bunch of fucking scary movies and shit as a child, way too young, probably got trauma from that. 
So for my fucked up lens that I live life and view life, that makes me want to die thinking about that life. But you got to understand, I'm fucked in the head and you probably aren't. So that's the difference. So don't take any offense to that. But with that being said, I love sex, though. Like, I love, like, physical intimacy, like, sexual stuff. Like, I love that. And I've done a lot of that. Um, and then that's definitely, like, uh, in a kind of an addictive thing, too. Because it's, like, one of the bi basic biological needs. You know, eating, shitting, fucking, drinking water, sleeping. These are, like, basic things that humans do. And... Um, the sex part just happens to make you feel really good. I mean, I guess eating can too. I mean, I guess taking a shit can too. I don't know. It's getting pretty disgusting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really do like that. But see, what doesn't work about that a lot of times is anybody you have sex with, they're going to want something more out of it. Well, where is this going? And to quote the uh, PDD song, we ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, that's, so that's a thing. I guess uh, I listened to, uh, I've been getting into, into the band Kiss lately, which is crazy because I always thought their music sucked, but I, I don't know. I heard the song Love Gun recently. I was like, oh, that's kind of a rocking song. Kind of, kind of cool, like arena rock vibe to it. Cause I only thought like rock and roll all night, which I fucking hate that song. I still do. But uh, I don't know. I just somehow or another going down the YouTube rabbit hole. I started. I stumbled upon Paul Stanley's the the lead singer Kiss. He's got his like audio book on there for free, and you can just go on there and listen to it for free. And it was such an interesting insight into the world of like, you know, starting out in rock and having to like form your 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 grand plan to take over the world and and you know eventually doing it. But then he talks about his physical intimacy, uh, like his problems with getting close to women. Like he would have sex with a bunch of women, but he could never get let them in or get close. It was this. It's like it's like a, a like a an artist thing, a creator type thing. You know, we have these issues, and you know, I hate to put myself in the same league as Kiss. You know, because God knows I'm not even a fraction of success that they they are. But um, yeah, anyway, that's uh, my little Dr. Drew moment for you there. So uh, hope you enjoyed listening. You can check out um, our podcast on. Uh, what, what am I? Where am I going with that? Where, 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 Josh? Where can they check out the podcast? If you're already fucking listening to it, you know where you found it. Just continue going there. You can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um, we just recently dropped a music video for our song Eyes Wide Open, which is about leaving a cult. And if you want to hear me, if you want to see me visually rant about that uh, fucked up promoter and that scheme that I got into with that show, that was my most recent video. But if nothing else, at least go check out our new music video for our song Eyes Wide Open and uh, consider supporting us, buying the album buying a t-shirt or just clicking play on spotify anything helps and we're i'm just trying to make my dream come true and that is the band and trust me if i get into the band or if the band gets successful i will still podcast from the road so the podcast will still maintain as well i think that's all i have to say for this week i hope you guys enjoyed this solo podcast i i for one didn't feel any lulls i didn't feel any dead air um i wasn't interrupted at all can you believe that I was I went through this whole podcast and not it was not interrupted one 
solitary moment. That was amazing. I do miss you, though, Mike. We're, we're a team. All right, folks, until next time, have a good rest of your day and, uh, and or night, and, and don't die and, and don't cry, and goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, my new album, Hex, is finally available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else where music can be found. Also, we still have our special edition physical CD available at bandcamp.com. Check the link in the description of this podcast. Now enjoy some of the samples from my new CD. But just in.